First draft, January 2015, one year and eight months since my mother's death, age 31. I love you. On my knees, I squeeze the girls tight, one on each side, the way we'd always be. Be good for Dada, I told them, nuzzling into their necks. They had on matching flower dresses from Old Navy. Autumn was in a blue motif and Violet in a pinkish red. Violets we bought two sizes too big because she refused to wear pants or underwear. They're sticky, she'd say. And after months of crazy making fights, Sydney came up with the extra long dress solution that reached almost to her ankles. I stood up and wrapped my arms around Tom's waist, my cheek pressed against his steady chest. I didn't want him to leave, but when Tom said, how would I take them away for the weekend? I knew it was futile to fight. I'd been at my edge for almost a year, and even I knew it was time to admit defeat. I hate the word surrender because it feels authoritative like a command. Surrender and put your hands up, or the opposite. Overly lethargic, passive, like I failed. Okay, I might as well give up. Now I have other phrases I use. Opening to, offering up, understanding that sometimes it's necessary to loosen my grip and let go. But right then, surrender was the right word because they were getting on an airplane and flying to Phoenix to meet up with Tom's parents and some other family that vacationed there for the winter. They were leaving me as our final plan for weaning Violet. For her health, it had always been my desire to make it to at least two, and I had, almost. My desire and my reality at odds, somewhere quiet, I knew my indecisiveness contributed to what I had called our failed attempts prior. Violet would turn two in a month, but I could no longer give her what she needed and me what I needed, and I never wanted it to be a choice. But if it had to be, it was better for her to have me without unlimited access to my breasts than not have me at all. I leaned against the door jamb and watched the retreating bodies cross the street to the BART train. Tom had Violet in a carrier on his back while he held Autumn's hand. The pain, both emotional and physical. Homesick, even though I stood in our home. Lonely, even though it was a necessary separation. As if our hearts were corded, and when they left, some of me left with them. Even now, when they spend the night at their grandparents for the weekend, their departure hurts. The house turned overly still. The quiet that only came after the intensity of kid energy was sucked out the front door. My motions automatically slowed as if I didn't remember how to move unless I was serving another. Our fridge bare, my grocery shopping delegated to the weekends when Tom could drive me. I placed two scoops of plain whole milk Greek yogurt into a little kid-sized bowl, dark purple with a white band at the top. Gone was the low-fat, fat-free of my youth. Since becoming a mother, I craved the thickness, needed the depth. I took my small bowl into the backyard and sat on a porch chair. I pulled my legs up to my chest and tipped my head back, lost to the cloudless California sky. I welcomed the nip of cold into my eyes because a fleshy wind often feels like breath when breathing gets too hard. With each swallow, I prayed the yogurt would stay down as my digestion had gone haywire, unable to process things, information, others' emotions anymore, and only a few weeks prior I'd vomited after a cup of yogurt. I prayed I'd get better, that this time with Violet worked, that they had safe travels, 
that I'd be able to hold it together until they returned. It was that product of being under constant pressure. The burden didn't stop even when the weight had been temporarily lifted because I knew as soon as they returned, it would be back. Trauma compounds on top of the other, so even when we're not in active shock, our mind, body, and soul still believes, still reacts as if we are. For two days and two nights, no one needed anything from me. Two whole days was like a three-week vacation to an overworked mother, but I was so out of practice It was a different kind of chore to be with myself. For the hours until sunset, I worked on organizing baby photos on the computer to print for an album, a way to connect with them and reflect on where I'd been. But I was still in it too much to appreciate the sentiment the boomers threw at the park. Make sure to enjoy. It goes by so fast. I always wondered why they couldn't see me, how they didn't know that was the most unhelpful comment to a stay-at-home mother. I realized later it was only a projection, a shortcoming of their own choices. Things go by fast when you're absent to the experience, but I was overly present, so close I couldn't see where I ended and the girls began. I have regret, but not being in the moment with them is not one. Once the photos were done, okay, not done, I only made it to when autumn turned one, but once I was done, I bended and flexed like a baby would I tested my strength to see if I'd be enough to hold up my own head. I wish it was inspiration, but it was more desperation that had me pausing in front of my desk. In the month after Tahoe, I had added a handful of brown paper napkins to my story and then stopped. They'd gotten moved from the letter organizer to the side drawer back to the letter organizer to hovering over the trash can because it was just a silly thing I did with a silly idea. I was so unaware of their purpose, their link to my own becoming, I'd almost thrown them out multiple times. My mind was very rational and sincere, telling me all the reasons why claiming myself as a writer was shameful. You are bad at school, and grammar, and spelling. You still can't spell. And grammar makes you anxious because you just know you've gotten it wrong. And you love starting your sentences with and and but. You don't have enough of imagination to create a make-believe story. You hated reading. You don't understand Shakespeare. You're not obsessed with Austin. You couldn't get into Grapes of Wrath. Every writer knew they wanted to be a writer since birth. You couldn't even write your own papers in school. Except my shadow wasn't only about identifying as a writer either. I'd written copy for my high school yearbook and never felt embarrassed. I wrote posts for a blog I'd kept for a year in my 20s and though I had my mom edit them for grammar, they were in my voice with my content. It was the layer of admitting I wanted to write fiction, a romantic, angsty novel featuring older teen characters and their experiences that exposed parts of me I usually kept hidden. But each time I stood in front of the trash can with those napkins, something more patient stilled my hand, something more generous had me shoving them back into the drawer. With nothing else to do, I opened it then. The blonde wood knob was so familiar, the same desk I had since college since my mother and I bought it at Office Max. It was too long for my apartment nook, so she had the end shaved off to fit. Always solution-oriented, she got stuff done. If she were alive, I wouldn't be there, alone, cracked open. One without a mother to hide behind, a marriage to hide behind, babies to hide behind. With an understanding, I'd never be able to find purpose and satisfaction and fulfillment outside of myself. All of the ways I abandoned myself in order to please those around me left me depleted and sick, empty. 
Motherhood often looks like replicating the dynamic we had with our own mothers onto our children, not because it works so well, but because it's what's programmed, what's known. It's clear now, within my rock bottoms, I was being handed a big ask to move from codependency into interdependence. Codependency meant my sense of worth and safety was tied to another, while simultaneously expecting them to feel pieces that were missing inside of me. Interdependence meant I'd stand rooted in my sense of self, loving myself, caring for myself, and when I'd come together in relationship, both as a wife and mother, I wouldn't view the dynamic as something to fix, where I was only happy if they were, but rather a mutually beneficial space of healing and growth. As night fell, the old bones of our house groaned and popped, a settling back into the earth. I remembered that feeling I wanted to create with Isla. I opened text edit on my computer because at the time I didn't even own Word and began. I began again. For the remainder of the day and into the next, I wrote. I wrote for the next seven months, chapter by chapter, until I had a completed manuscript. Writing not only soothed me and calmed me, it was the only thing I'd ever done that felt intrinsically mine. It didn't cost me a thing, a closed loop of giving and receiving. I didn't know any better at the time, not about dialogue tags or character development, not about story structure or stakes. I only knew my words that they mattered to me, that the story, it filled me when nothing else ever had. After developing my own relationship with psycho-spiritual healing, it would take me the next seven years to transition toward interdependence. But with only my inner world as company, alongside my characters, that night, a new version of me was planted. It was my start. I didn't realize then, but it was only a start, a first draft. It's just that first drafts are perhaps the most important part. Nothing in this life happens without a first draft. Autumn gave me breastfeeding. Breastfeeding gave me reading. It's maybe the number one piece of basic advice from published authors and writing instructors alike. Read a lot and read widely. Without knowing it, in those hours when my body was no longer my own, I started my writing journey. After my mother died, I needed to connect and to express. I needed to process, to sit by her bed and have a back and forth. Really, I needed a container that held as much as she did, but there wasn't one. Our relationship was once in a lifetime, and I'd had mine. It was sort of a choice, but more a necessity. I needed to become my own container, something larger than I'd been before. And with Violet, she handed me a forced separation from the family, white space, a time to be in relation with myself, one I never would have taken on my own. Without it, I might not have looked for those brown paper napkins. I might have not typed out my story. My life unraveled layer by layer and without me realizing it was being reformed at the same time. A month after we weaned Violet, Sydney found a flyer for a Montessori preschool that was attached to a local church and within walking distance to our home. Because the preschool was considered outreach, it was extremely affordable. The classes were small, with a very compassionate team of women who provided a nurturing environment for the girls. The school was called New Beginnings. Sometimes we must be pushed, we must fall, and with each fall a death of an old version of self, if only for the act, for our muscles to contract, for our mind to understand, if only for the practice of getting back up and getting back up and getting back up.
Jasmine Rasmussen, author and narrator of Saved, a memoir on purpose. Join me weekly for an oral telling of my novel, written in verse and prose, broken into short, digestible episodes. I'll guide you through my journey back to self. Click the link below to subscribe or go to jasmineleahrasmussen.substack.com to find out more.